Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Ted Lasso Welcome Wagon has arrived. Ted! So, you're heavily favoured this weekend. Do you think this will end your embarrassing streak of draws? Lloyd, I've never been embarrassed about having streaks in my draws. You know, it's all part of growing up. I got a question for you. Has a team a like us ever won the whole chimichanga? Not for 40 years. Oh! No, you don't come through here. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, I got you. It's like Dukes of Hazards. <laughs> Y'all probably call it the no. Earls of Risk over here. We got what to do. I think it's time for these young fellas to meet that guy. Oh no, let that's up. You little turd birds, start touching your toes. And touch each other's toes. What? what? Last week, the hit Apple TV Plus series Ted Lasso earned 20 Emmy nominations, the most for a comedy series. The debut season of the series, which follows Jason Sudeikis as an American football coach hired to coach a Premier League soccer team, offer just the right combination of comedy, heart, and hope to win over pandemic audiences, and its nominations included two for editing. Editor A.J. Cataline is nominated for the Hope That Kills You episode, and Melissa McCoy for the episode titled Make Rebecca Great Again. It's the first Emmy nomination for both editors. In today's conversation, Melissa and A.J. take us behind the scenes of the making of the series, share their favorite scenes, and give us a preview of what is to come when Ted, Roy, Rebecca, and the rest of the characters return for season two. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. So Melissa and AJ, welcome and thank you for uh, joining us and congratulations on your nominations. Thank you. Thank you. Very exciting. Like two aces, just like our, our episode. Exactly. Two aces, two editors, two noms. Right. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> this series really struck a chord with viewers. Did you expect it going in? And, you know, what, what do you attribute its success to? I don't think we saw it coming. I mean, we, I know how I felt about it. I loved it. I remember uh, at the end of season one, my last day working with Jason, we just didn't know how it was going to land. And I, I said to him, I was just like, thank you so much for letting me work on this show. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to talk to you ever again sort of thing. Like, you know, that's kind of happens sometimes where you put your heart and soul into something and it doesn't, it doesn't reach 
where you want it to reach and you don't get to come back for season two. So I had been down that road a few times and really just wanted to like tell him (laughs) what the show meant to me. Um, But so I was so relieved when people loved what I loved about it. And, um, and it, and it, people have been reaching out to me left and right about the show and what it means to them and the message in it. And it's just been amazing to receive all that love and positivity from people. It's like, it just lifts me up. And I'm so happy that, you know, I've had some small part in helping lift up them as well. So it's just been a pleasant, beautiful surprise. Well, especially during the pandemic, what has it meant to you? Would you want to elaborate? Yeah, during the pandemic, just being like in your own little island, you know, I hadn't left my house and, and suddenly people are reaching out to me and I've had students reach out to me and I, I was Zooming with uh, students in um, North Carolina and in Chicago and just people wanting to talk about the show, wanting to talk about how I, you know, found my way to the show. And um, it's just been a really beautiful connecting with people that I never, you know, imagined. Which leads to my next question. And uh, I wanted to ask, how, how did each of you come onto the show? Oh, well, uh, it's, it's, you know, happenstance, I guess. I had met um, Kip Kroger um, a few years uh, back. Uh, he was interviewing for editors for another job. And uh, I didn't get that job, but I, we made a connection. And I think the, the moral of the story there is, you know, stay in touch with, with people. Um, because I then had cut a, uh, uh, a, a history channel short film comedy that Jason Sudeikis was in with, uh, with Dan Harmon and he spoofed, uh, Thomas Edison. And, uh, I just always loved his comedy. I mean, you know, I can watch Jason dance for like hours, I think, you know, just take after take. And he was doing some really goofy Thomas Edison, uh, rap in this show. It was called great minds with Dan Harmon. And, and, uh, so I'd love this comedy and I called up Kip. I'd heard they were doing the show and I had not known nothing about Ted Lasso other than the short films that were out there. And I thought, you know, it was going to be just a simple comedy, like a sketch com. And, uh, and I remember we weren't going to be editing on the Warner brothers lot. And I, I talked to Mel, who I was just meeting, I said, wow, we're now it's over at Warner brothers. And this is turning into a, a big show. And, uh, I think when we started getting the scripts, which just trickled in, we uh, as we were cutting, we we realized it was much much deeper than a comedy, and uh, it it definitely had had so much heart and so much behind it, and um, I'm just so happy that it's resonating. And what is it like to work with Jason and the other members of the team? It's uh, amazing to work with Ted Lasso himself. I have to say, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> you know, not only do we get the benefit of uh, well, especially season one, when he would come into the office, um, he'd be like, let me do that loop line real quick. And he would put on his Ted Lasso voice. And you don't think that it's a real like accent, but it really is like, it's funny. He like gets into character and then, and then you, so instead of, you know, one of us having to fill the line, uh, badly, you get the actual Ted Lasso line, but, um, also just, um, gosh, just, a real visionary for the show and what the show should be and a real cheerleader, a real supporter, uh, elevates, he elevates, I think everybody when, um, speaking with the directors, they, uh, one of them that I worked with this season, she was like, he just, you know, makes you better. And, um, and it's true because he, he knows all the ins and outs of the show. He knows all the backstory and he can give you all, 
all these tools to inform decisions, uh, you know, in the cutting room that, um, is just really fun. And he's, he's not only funny, funny guy, but he's so smart and a real cinephile. Like he will, he'll bring up, uh, scenes from television, from movies. The other day he was talking about a play. I mean, he's just so sharp in his reference points and really just gives you a touchstone to work from. And it's, um, inspiring and, uh, challenging in the best way. Well, throughout season one, the Ted Lasso character really, you know, changes all of the characters around him. You were both shaping, you know, the arcs of many characters. Um, do you want to each talk a little bit about, you know, just how you handled those arcs throughout the season and how you shared the duties to keep it so consistent? Uh, I think w- what helped was having so much of season one uh, open. Um, you know, we we were cutting all 10 episodes, it seemed all at once. I mean, we'd finished them early, but the fact that we could go backwards, like knowing that, like, you know, I didn't know that when he, in episode one, when he talks about that, he doesn't know that soccer is a game that can end in ties, that that would be a very critical story point for episode 10. Uh, you know, so Ted uh, learns these things and, and Jason knows all of this. You know, he's, he's, you know, thought of this series as a three arc, uh, structure in his head from from long ago and he doesn't always share that with everyone he keeps that you know close to the vest you know he's always uh he's like a great poker player he's uh he's always shuffling cards when he's editing with us and uh you know it's a way you know, to keep him thinking and keep him focused and not getting nervous so he like it's like he cl- holds those creative cards close to his vest but not because you know he wants to uh hold anything back but he kind of wants us to uh discover this fresh and uh, how we react to the footage he, he is insightful for him as to what choices to make. Um, but definitely with the, with the characters, you know, I saw very quickly that it was a story about authenticity and vulnerability um, that, you know, Keely and Rebecca, you know, could have been competitors, but they um, became really close friends. You know, Rebecca was dealing with a lot of shadow uh, in her life. And I think this is a huge resonant theme uh, with Jason and, um, she, you know, learned to, uh, to grow and to, uh, express herself and every character on the show, uh, found his voice, you know, Nate, the kit man grew into becoming a coach and, uh, Jamie Tart grew into, uh, not just being a, an arrogant prick as Roy Kent called him, but, uh, you know, uh, feeling empathy and, um, and Roy Kent, uh, that was a big moment for Jason when, uh, they set that up early that, you know, wait till he actually loves us. He's going to be furious then. And then in, at the end, in the last episode, he, uh, Roy Kent just completely uh, melts when he says, it's hard to love you, Ted. So these are all moments that, that Jason, you know, worked on with us. He's very intentional. Yes, it's the, um, the school of, uh, film school of Jason Sudeikis. He knows so many references to so many films and TV shows, and he loves references of books and songs and, uh, and when you can find those hidden gems and, and metaphors, uh, he likes to play with those. Do you want to give an example? Uh, well, the Alan Iverson speech is great. I mean, that was something that he came up in episode six. Uh, that was unplanned. It was unscripted. He thought of that probably two days before they shot it. Um, we were doing a bit on semantic, sati- semantic satiation. I can't even say it. It's when a word is repeated over and over again, like plan, plan, I have a plan, plan, there are aces, two aces. And you just repeat the word and it loses its meaning. Um, 
so he was trying to find a way to where Ted could finally break down the character Jamie Tart and do it in a way that is, uh, uh, you know, is kind of creative and intuitive. And so he thought of uh, pulling uh, from the Allen Iverson infamous practice speech, which he gave years ago, where he just repeats the word practice is about practice, not the game over and over again. And uh, and he, he does this with Jamie and we had a key sent me a transcript on Google and I had to cut that scene exactly to how Iverson uh, built it. And the fans have, have appreciated that, that it, it, it mirrors that. And, uh, and it's just that one great shot when we cut to a 50, 50 shot and it's a Dutch angle and Ted is towering over Jamie Tart and he finally breaks him down at that moment. But then Ted pulls back and realizes, okay, now it's about love. I need to express love to Jamie. So, that's an example of just a reference from from a random point of history, Alan Iverson, that not many people would know. But he's always doing little sports references to films. I and mean, I don't want to give a season two spoiler, but you'll see it in season two. There's certain, you know, we're like a show that's like Friday Night Lights uh, or like, you know, The Office. So he'll have little references to famous sports films and that he wants to uh, give a play, pay homage to. You know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or... Uh, uh, Escape to Victory, the Sylvester Stallone World War II soccer film. So he loves these little details that we bring in. Yeah, I had a graduate reference in episode seven. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's very <laughs> varied. Um, and it's such a, you know, not huge scene, but it's just uh, in episode seven when the team is headed off on the uh, on the bus to the game away game and Nate's trapped underneath the bus and he really wanted it to be like, he's they're on the move. And cause we have forgotten that Nate got trapped under that. And so it's the, uh, when he's in his car and he's going and then it starts to the, the music's, you know, the, the Simon and Garfunkel music starts to like stop. And then he runs in and has that whole scene and then he gets back out in the car and goes, you know, gets the gas and goes, goes, goes. Um, and so that was the reference point. He was like, it's gotta be like that where you think they're that we're going. And then the music stops and it's just kind of like the music's just like, you know, while he's getting out, we play the thing. And then we sweep into the main title. Like he, he's like, you want to think we're headed towards the main title, but no, Oh wait, you forgot, Like you know, Nate's under there. And so it was just such a, like, reference point to to like be like oh, okay this feel and like you know built a, a similar music uh you know cue under there and and did that but i love the graduate so i was just like oh let this homage let's do it like you know what i mean like um, well now that scene is from the episode um make rebecca great again the one that you're nominated for melissa when they um they actually travel to an away game in liverpool what was your favorite scene to cut in that episode um i Seven is just the whole episode was really, it was a special one for me like that. It was just the whole episode I loved. And Jason wrote that episode. And, um, and so he was really invested in it as well. So it was really fun to work on it together. And there's so many things in it. I love like, you know, Nate's speech in the locker room that uh, Ted, you know, it says you have to do this and, and you don't know what's in that speech. And he starts and it's just so brutally honest. And then it breaks through like everybody. It's just such a, it's just such a surprising scene. And it was just such a beautifully performed scene by Nate and the whole team. Um, but I think ultimately, I guess it would have to be the panic attack karaoke, uh, 
scene because you just had Hannah, <laughs> like Broadway, you know, Wonder Woman take on fr- the Frozen song. And they had they had shot an alternate in case we couldn't get that. So um, I will survive was in the was in the uh, warm up waiting to uh, waiting to make its debut if we couldn't get the Frozen song. So um, you know I had those versions and then um, weaving in the team, which is gelling. And there's a great cutaway to Roy Kent singing um, the Frozen song because of course he would know that from his uh, you know from With his, his niece, niece Phoebe. Phoebe. <laughs> yeah. And so when I saw that in the dailies, like that's not scripted. I just, they just, they just find little things like that to pepper in that are so smart and are so character driven. And, you know, I think that just happened in a one-off. Like it was just like in, cause you, if you can imagine uh, like a whole team in a karaoke room, um, there was just a lot of footage, a lot of roving cameras, a lot of like making string outs of footage that I was like, okay, I have to remember this. Like Isaac leans forward, like the tough guy just gets so into the performance of hers and uh, yeah, Roy singing. It was just like all these little moments. I was like, I got to remember these and pepper them in as she's singing. Um, and then to transition into such a dark moment for Ted. Um, because that's the episode also where he's struggling because he has to sign his divorce papers. Yes, yeah. And so it was a real high and a real low episode. And to make all those moments feel natural and of the story. Like I really, you know, spent time trying to honor, okay, we have to foreshadow that maybe Ted's not in a really good headspace here. And so, and then once the the panic attack happens, trying to make that very uh, visceral with the the cuts to the hands um, and uh, his, his shortness of breath. And my assistant did a really amazing temp sound design job with we um, a ringing in his ear, so there's a very like high pitched squeal that you know as we got closer to his face, you know, would just start swelling, and everything started getting really verby, and the and and Hannah's voice started to get more distant, and then traveling him out through that uh, club, um, jump jumping him out there, and and jumping his panic attack at um, outside, and um, and then we played with you know the voice that the voices that come in, that was a Jason thing where he wanted to hear his son's voice say, uh, dad. Um, and you heard his wife say Ted, and then you hear Rebecca say Ted, and then she comes into focus. So it's all those things swirling in his head. And that was a Jason ad. He was like, I want to hear maybe dad and his wife. Cause before I had just played Rebecca, Ted, Ted, you know, it got closer and closer. Um, so if you listen, those are some fun creative things that Jason brings to the table of, of really going in character, the character work. He's, he's so invested in the characters. So, And then uh, AJ, your uh, nominated episode is the finale of season one, The Hope That Kills You, uh, which concludes with the match where uh, they desperately needed a tie. And at the very end of the game, Jamie Tart scores that crushing goal. Tell us about cutting that scene. Wow. Yeah. The Hope That Kills You. Um you know, that's such a resonant title for the pandemic, isn't it? Um, uh, Jason wanted that, you know, to be finally where Ted confronts this, this pessimism, you know, and, uh, so earlier we introduced the slogan from May, the bartender that, uh, she says, you know, we don't believe in hope in England. It's the hope that kills you. And that really sticks with Ted and realizes that he's got some fundamental work to do with this team. And so before we go to the, that, great end athletic set piece he's in the locker room challenging that phrase and he said well i 
choose to believe and believe. And uh, he was very intentional about being on the players at certain time to be on the beautiful smiling face of Sam Obasanya on asking the question, do you believe in miracles? And it's a very heavy scene. Uh, and then we have a, a funny joke where uh, Isaac, the captain, uh, who's just been given the captain armband uh, by Roy Kent, you know, says Richmond on 12 and they run out. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> that's a funny counting moment. And uh, they get out on the field and we do, to me, that's where the show returned to its roots of being a, a goofball sports comedy because we proceed to do that joke of American football. And our, our composers, Marcus Mumford and Tom Howe, wrote a great cue for that, which is on the Apple album called American Football. And we basically do an NFL formation and match all those camera angles. And all of that ending scene, by the way, the pub, the crowd, the dugout, Rebecca and Higgins uh, and Keely watching from the stands, uh, Rupert and his girlfriend watching from their apartment, um, all of that was filmed, uh, of course, at different times and different days. But the, the trick was to make it seem as fluid uh, as possible. Uh, so, you know, that to me was just hysterical and getting some reactions from the crowd. Like, you know, what is this American doing? But, you know, we have that great moment where, where we come around to Danny and he kicks it in in a, in a bicycle kick. Uh, and all that footage was we just had a few takes of it all. And they really nailed it. It was shot in the pouring rain and in visual effects. We had to. Uh, balance the rain out so it felt uh, uniform but we fortunately got it and the the bicycle kick is a callback to Danny doing the same kick and pass from Sam in 106 so that felt good and but Jason wanted it to be a roller coaster like he wanted it to you know really trick everyone into believing like you know because he's an avid TV watcher so he knows like he's because I, I sniffed these plot points coming a mile away so clearly you're going to dupe the audience into believing that you know they're going to make them win by a tie and they do. But then Jamie, who Ted has been teaching to be his best self, finally is his best self in the worst moment for Richmond and passes the ball instead of shooting the ball. And because he passes the ball, they score a goal. Richmond are relegated. And then we cue probably the best cue um, that could have fit for the pandemic times, You'll Never Walk Alone by Marcus Mumford's rendition. And that was a song that was very sung in England during the pandemic for the um, the healthcare workers on the front lines. And, you know, I said this to Mel the other day, uh, you know, I, I cry cutting this show. <laughs> and when I was putting that song in and the, the music came and I watched it because we cut that to picture there and it just, the, the, the feels and the chills of it. Um, you know, and Jason cried uh, on zoom too, laughed and cried with me. Like it was just a, a powerful moment. Um, uh, and then to go into the the locker room after, and he says, you know, look, it's not about wins and losses. It's about being your best self and then it's about being a goldfish. And if you can't win, then, you know, be a goldfish, forget about it, you know, be in the moment and, and go onward. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, the score plays such a big role throughout. Do you want to talk about the music? And I, it was carefully planned, I know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we can go on and on for music, but I'll say we, Jason knows a song when he hears it. Um, 
We're very intentional about the needle drops. I mean, just in episode 10, for example, um, you know, we put the um, Sweet Georgia Brown, the, the theme of the Harlem Globetrotters earlier in the episode when the team's thinking up trick plays that really gelled. And then the ending song, we went around in circles, like, how do we end this series and with uh, with what song? And Edith Piaf's uh, Non Je Ne Regrette Rien just really fit well there. That's such a lasso anthem with the the words from French, you know, today it begins with you. Uh, so that one, Jason heard that, he's like, that's it. That's the one. Um, so yeah, I get to, Mel can talk about how we just always jam in tunes with Mel. When I come into work in the days when we were working at Warner Brothers, listening to Mel jam, the, the who, the stones, the kinks, the clash, it was just a great hallway to work in right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the, the vibe of the show was and, um, yeah, Marcus came in midway and that really like helped us. Cause I think we were trying on a lot of hats, you know, temp score wise. And, and then, yeah, when Marcus, when I found out Marcus was going to do the music, um, yeah, it, just, it unlocked a lot of, a lot of, uh, elements for us, I think. And then I started listening to Mumford and Sons and found a great Mumford and Sons song to put in for five, uh, where it was just really, it was like, I was listening to it and I was like, had read the script of five where his wife basically is, tells him he doesn't, she doesn't love him anymore. And he sends her, you know, uh, lovingly back in the car and says goodbye. And, um, I I was driving into work and I heard, um, the Mumford song where it was like, think of London and the girl you're returning. And I was just like, wow, that's such a beautiful song. We were able to get the instrumental and layer that in for the ending there. But yeah, it was, it's, it's very much a vibe uh, very much always inspired by what the characters are going through and what the character mindset is or story. Um, but yeah, very char- character driven, which is, um, is really informative and a great place. I feel like to have your music come in, right? Like it, it always feels like it has a reason and has an element that you're trying to, con- to help with, with your storytelling. I asked Melissa about her favorite uh, scene to cut in her episode. AJ, what was your favorite scene to cut in Hope That Kills You? Wow. Uh, well, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, I mentioned the the Believe speech and the, you know, it's broken up into two parts. It's the the speech before the game. And then um, I guess at the end when he, he comes uh, through that door and just, you know, he'd just seen Jamie Tart get yelled at by his dad. And, uh, you know, that, that really strikes Ted and he, he goes into the team and they're just all so depressed and he, he tries to cheer them up and the, 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 the water boy will hands him a, a bottle and uh, it just breaks up the, the tension in a very funny way. Um, I think of both of those speeches, cause they felt like a, a two parts. So I'd say that the first belief speech and the end speech, but with the roving camera and keeping that camera, uh, fluid, um, yeah, the the entire last half of that of that show just builds and builds on an emotional uh, ride, and then of course um, the l- very last shot of episode ten it mirrors exactly the opening shot of episode one, and that's another example of not knowing these details until we got to the end. But Jason brought that up with me. He said, "I asked the director to get the same coverage of Rebecca looking to camera for the end of ten as we see at the very top." Uh, of the show when um, we open on her. We don't open on the main character, Ted Lasso. We open on on Rebecca and follow her story. And at the beginning, she's just, uh, you know, sort of very composed on the outside and just sort of, 
you know, crushed on the inside with all this shadow and issues she's dealing with. By the end of the show, she's uh, very healed and happy on the inside, but an absolute mess on the outside. Uh, so she's she's come full circle. Do you want to give a shout out to the editorial team? Always. Oh, always. Best. Absolutely. Our assistant, yeah, ass- yeah. Uh, assistant editors are amazing. Alex uh, Zabo and, and uh, my assistant and Frank. Yeah. Frankie yeah. Castro. Frankie Castro. Mm-hmm. And also our, our post sound team was all nominated too. I really want to give a shout out to our yeah. sound mixing and sound editing team and, and Marcus and Tom were nominated. So it's just such a, you know, I, I said that, you know, soccer is like a, like picture editing soccer is a game of collaboration. And uh, so we all work together to bring all these facets together and then, then they really make us uh, sound good. And our visual effects team, so much of the show's visual effects that people don't realize we don't play in any stadium it's all added later. And uh, this show just looks so amazing at the end. So yeah, yeah. absolute shout out to the post team. Lasso. Yep. Yep. Also post team. Kip Kroger is our uh, producer and yeah. Caitlin Hollenbeck is our coordinator and Robbie Stevenson is our, uh, or no, so Robbie's our coordinator. Mm-hmm. Caitlin is our supervisor. Did I say that right? <laughs> I'm like, the, yes, you but, got uh, it. yeah, it's, yeah. It's been a, yeah. And our music editor, Richard, like, I mean, it's just a rock star team. And I, said this to Jason, we're working together. I was like, gosh, man, I'm just so proud of everybody this season. Like it, I was part of everybody season one, but season two from, from, you know, people who are the guest stars to the production is like, everybody is just, um, swinging for the fences and bringing so much creative energy and joy and teamwork and, and positivity really like, um, that it's, been a really uh, a joy to to work on this show it's very it feels very special you know um I, I i feel very lucky like i know this is a this doesn't happen everywhere so i'm trying to soak it up for sure oh yeah me too how tightly scripted is it or do they improv you know it's pretty tightly scripted they like i said they come up with like little gems sometimes when they're working or they'll they'll work out something in the uh, like for the button of a scene, you know, sometimes a lot of the scene will like the written finish and then there'll be some little button tacked on and they'll, you can see them working it out in the master. And then by the time you get to your tights and sometimes they have it all worked out. And then sometimes you kind of have to work a little bit magic to see like, there's a, there's a yeah. gem of a joke in here to end on, but like, how do I get it? Cause it's kind of like in a mass of like three different takes and I have to like, okay, if I steal the sound bite from this, that makes this joke make sense. And then we can really go out on that, like hilarious close up of beard or something, you know what I mean? So that's, I find where I do where a lot of the improv comes and then they'll have like alt lines. I remember in one of, uh, in season one, I think it was episode nine where they're thinking about, um, benching Roy they uh coach beard and nate sit ted down and say like uh you know to tell him like we need to bench roy but ted looks at them and goes "Uh oh like uh looks like you guys are about to do improv and you know uh like or that or you guys are going to be or dating or something like they he did some joke like that but he had written down like a line of improv prompts that he thought that they could do sort of thing like you know that he thought they were going to put on an improv show so i could see jason like looking at okay what okay let me do this line now so like they'll come up with like a list of improv sometimes but for the most part it's pretty pretty 
spot on for script. What do you think, AJ? Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. They they play as they go forward. So the earlier takes, which are masters, then it becomes a bit of a puzzle because they, as Mel says, they discover a joke through the takes and they won't necessarily go backwards and get the footage. So we have to, that becomes a little bit of a puzzle, but we, we always make it work. Yes, he, Jason will think of ideas on the set. Like he saw that coat hanger in Rebecca's office that looks like a tree and out of the blue on one take, say like, high five tree. And you know, that just became a gem of uh, episode two. And everyone loves that saying. And that was just a one take one off. And you just thought of it. Um, sometimes the improv is completely unplanned where he mistimed the leap heading out of Rebecca's office and smashes his head into the door and just recovers and had to go see the set medic. That was all real. Uh, you know, um, and then sometimes there's more in-depth writing that he does, like the Alan Iverson scene that I, I mentioned that he he thinks about the day or two before, makes some changes, you know, because he's a, Jason is a writer, a creator, you know, an actor. And so he's, he's always bringing new ideas in. But yes, the scripts are very well written and the storyline is all there by an amazing team of writers who really thought this out and they, and they don't share it with, um, anyone beyond themselves. Like we don't necessarily know how, you know, when we were cutting season one, we didn't know how it was going to end. Same with season two. And, uh, you know, I don't know what any of the arcs are going forward. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like the audience. I'm, uh, you know, what's going to happen, uh, to I Richmond. Know a few. But, yeah, I, I know will... a few. Jason well, drops a few hints. nuggets, but oh, got those locked down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what I would tell, I mean, I, this isn't in a spoiler, but I would just tell fans of the show, like what you see in the show that you love, you know, know that it's intentional and that, that those things are probably going to continue there's, there's uh, Ted is a very, you know, he's way wiser than a barbecue sauce loving country bumpkin. So he, you know, things that you see will carry forward and little moments that, that they'll be there. It's very intentional television. So, you know, I, we, I can assume and guess what storylines will happen, but I'm excited to discover it. So season two will be available tomorrow. In the first episode, we're going to catch up with our characters. Um, we're going to meet Roy Kent adjusting to retirement. We are seeing uh, Danny Rojas after a traumatic penalty kick. And Jamie has uh, taken a chance at reality TV. And the series also has a new sports psychologist for the team. So with all of these things, what can you tell us about season two? <laughs> Just buckle up, basically, is what I, you know, I just like season one, it is a ride. And I, I, I think that you will get to the end and you will have laughed, you will have cried, and you will have fallen way more deeply in love with these characters. I know I did. I'm, I'm just in awe of our cast. Like they are amazing. They did amazing work this season. And I'm so excited for everybody to see it. I mean, you know, we, we all, I think really love the fan support. And so we all, uh, I know I worked and every day I was like, this is my love letter to Roy, this scene. I want Roy to be the best Roy Kent in this scene, you know, grumpy, whatever, whatever the ultimate Roy, this is my love letter to him, you know, and then beard. I had an episode with beard that I was just like, Love, oh God, you know, I poured so much love into that episode where I'm just like, I want everybody to see these, what amazing work these guys are doing. So anyways, I, I just, I think everybody did an amazing job this season and I'm so proud of everybody. 
not not a lot of spoilers, but people are <laughs> are growing. The character yeah. the character growth is yeah. is huge this season. I think. Let's talk about Roy a little. What can you tell us about Roy in this season? Oh, um, he's retired now, but yes, and he will go on a journey. I don't know what I can say, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I had the pleasure of cutting episode five, and I think that is a big, um, you know, that's a big Roy Kent episode. And um, if you love Roy Kent, yeah, make it to episode five, and I think you'll be excited to see where his character journey goes. He's is here, that, he's there, he's every fucking way, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, you know, sure, he's grumpy, but you get a little bit more Phoebe. You get Roy and Keely. And you get Roy and, uh, you know, you get a little bit of new Roy in, a, in his in his same grouchy shell, which I think is like the best Roy. <laughs> you know, you, I, I, you get the grouch, but you, you always get to see his like soft, gooey center. I love it. Yeah, Brett has really mastered that character. I love how he walks into rooms, his chest stuck out and he's very, yeah, a lot of grunting and anger and. You know, and not much, uh, he didn't smile much, uh, season one. You know, it's when, and when he does, it's for, you know, rare reasons. Like he's, uh, enjoying a laugh at Jamie Tart's expense. But yeah, I agree. This cast is really gelled together. You can feel it. Uh, absolutely. They just know each other's rhythms and, and each other's timing. And they're, you know, that we had so many choices to choose from in, in performance and they all were wonderful and that uh, that became a puzzle to put them all together hannah waddingham you know is a superstar and so is juno temple they uh are. and they just all are i mean and, yeah. and, and nate's storyline's amazing and, and and sam and uh it, it's yeah and coach beard is, is is always there the uh you know just what, wait and see how many books he's going to read and bring on set this year. You know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's so much hidden gems. Do you get a lot of takes to work with? You know, not, not more than, than most in TV. You know, you're lucky in TV to get three. You know, uh, sometimes if we're lucky, if they're really on a roll, we'll, we'll get five. I mean, but but they, they really nail it. It's like, uh, I don't know how they do it. If they're, they obviously are rehearsing off camera, but when they roll those cameras, that, that performance by the, the second or third take is, is spot on and it's there. Not a lot of miss ups and there's a lot of dialogue. I'm always, I'm always, and, and that's from everybody. Like even, you know, guest stars that come in for just the day of work, they just have that, they have that dialogue down, you know, they have a clear voice and vision and they, they deliver it. And, um, and Hannah's especially wonderful to cut because she gives you such subtle changes from take to take, such smart, subtle changes. Like, you know, like, oh, maybe you want a shade of this in this speech, you know? And so I remember uh, in season one going through takes with Jason um, with that speech outside uh, the um, the ballroom when she finally opens up to to Ted. It's like, Take one, you have shame, and take two, you know, she just kind of blurts it out, and take three, she's finding her words. And, but they were all such, they were choices, and they were all beautiful choices. And so you were kind of like, what direction do we want to take this speech? You know, you could, any way you go, it's an award winning speech. Like that woman is um, talented in so many different ways. It's, it's an ama- it's a pleasure to watch. Melissa, what can you tell us about uh, Rebecca's character arc in uh, in season two? Mm. Her character arc is more 
personal to her and her growth. And, um, I think, you know, what she's looking for in another person. I think she, she's discovering, uh, her worth and as a, you know, out there in the world and, um, and is leading in love and grace this season, which is, which is a beautiful place to start from with her because, um, that's the opposite of where we started last season. So you really get to see, um, I, Hannah unleashed, I'll say, uh, you know, um, in episode, another, uh, episode five, uh, I was talking about it today with my assistant of just how, where do you see her? Like, you know, her hair is loose and they have her in this beautiful dress and she's just owning her, uh, you know, happiness that I think Ted brought out and, and it, it's shining through in her appearance, even in the season, she's just a little more free. And, um, yeah, I think in one, one scene she has her shoes off and she's just got her feet kicked up. And I think you'll see her in a different location in the office as well. Like they, you know, they did smart things with her character where you just see, you know, she's not behind the desk so much. She's opened up to the room and more welcoming of people that are coming into her office, maybe. So it's more open, wild Rebecca this season, which is really fun. It's because I think this, the scheming is gone with Rebecca. You know, should Ted and her have come together. And so there's no more secret plotting with her. So uh, what you do see with Rebecca, yeah, is is more of an open, like, I want to be more authentic and relate more to people. And that, that applies to all the characters, you know. They know each other now, so their their relationships are going to get deeper, get more intense, and we're going to see you know, the both good and bad, uh, you know, yin and yang of each of their personalities come forward. You know, it's going to be uh, the very best of them and in some ways the, the worst of them. And then and the worst, of course, makes for some great comedy and great tension. Well, congratulations on your Emmy nominations. And thank you so much for coming down to join thank us. Thank you for having us. What an honor. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Hollywood Reporter. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.